Dotnet Rocks episode 831 with guest Phil Hack. Recorded live Friday, November 30th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, LA! It's .NET Rocks! I love LA! (laughs) We love it! Randy Newman, 1980-something. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, are you ready? These guys are the only ones laughing there at you. Me. They don't know whether to laugh or cry, actually. It's all that bourbon. This yeah. is the Christmas show. This show is being published on Christmas Day. That's crazy. Yeah, it's Merry Christmas. Everybody say, Merry Christmas. There you go. We are in front of a throng in downtown Los Angeles at Microsoft, and we're part of the .NET Rocks 2012 Visual Studio launch road trip. Phil Hack is here. (laughs) But before we can talk to Phil, we have a little business to take care of, starting with Better Know Framework. What do you got, buddy? Well, I thought I would tell you about something that is in part of Visual Studio. Oh, really? So it is a not a framework feature per se, Okay. but it's a feature of Visual Studio. So in particular, when you're building a Windows Store app, mm-hmm. let's which say you've you, been doing lately. I have been. Let's say you start with a blank template, a mm-hmm. blank app template. Which you are also prone to. Yeah, I love that. The blank app template is great. Because you start from scratch if you know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to use MVVM, yeah. which I'm hoping you will, mm-hmm. and you want a little more support in your page for navigation and for uh, I, I notify property change right. and that kind of thing, you are going to need to add a basic page to your project and get rid of that main page.xaml and code behind okay. that is there. By default. So, so even even in the blank template, that default page is not the right page. The default page is a blank page. Okay. It has one XAML file with a grid and a code behind, and that's it. Okay. But if you add a basic page, mm-hmm. you get all sorts of goodness that includes a bindable base in the common folder. Mm-hmm. So a bindable base implements I notify property changed and has a on property changed method mm-hmm. so that you can just call that when you're when you're when your so things all change. the binding stuff just works. So if you're going to create a view model, for example, you can inherit that view model from bindable base. Nice. And it just works. It has great code for navigation. It has all sorts of cool things that you will probably end up using anyway. Right. So get rid of main page XAML. Start with a blank uh, template if you want, but add a basic page and you'll get all sorts of goodness. Nice. And that's my tip of the day. Oh, that's a good tip, man. I, I like, like that. that. That's just, that's pretty serious. Know it, learn, and love it. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment in consideration of our guest. I have grabbed a comment. Who's our guest? Our guest. Phil Hack. Phil Hack. (laughs) And so these guys. Phil's last show was show 749. 
And that was a show we called Phil Hack Doesn't Work at Microsoft <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> and uh, and in, in that show, I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. Right? We talked about open source. We yeah. talked about NuGet. We talked about his role at GitHub and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of getting .NET more involved in GitHub in general. So we get this great comment from, and somebody you know, Ola Carlson. Ola Carlson? Yeah, from Ordev. Yeah, that's right. Wrote, and it's, an awesome, it's a bit long, but it's a good comment. I really want to read it to you. You appreciate okay. this. And I'm sure Phil will have some comments on it. Car- Ola says, hi, guys. The intro to this show brought a smile to my face, together with some foggy memories of a late night in Malmo last year, where I believe just the right amount of beer and whiskey was consumed. Just the right just amount. Just the right amount. I was in that group, in the lobby, and if memory serves me right which it may very well not in this case. We all found it rather amusing when Carl wandered out into the lobby red-eyed and jet-lagged and wondered what the heck we were doing and pretty much echoing the staff's comments about lowering our noise level. Oh, yes. We woke you up. And I remember Phil was there. Yes, he was. And he was in the bag. (laughs) (laughs) But we were talking shop, as I recall. We were. All right, Ola goes on to say, regarding NuGet, although I think it's one of the greatest things ever, which has happened in the .NET space in a long time, it's created a brand new challenge in our industry. All of a sudden, .NET developers who might not historically have been used to or exposed to the mentality of using third-party libraries have had a new world open to them, and they're going to town with it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it is extremely easy to pull in a third-party library into your project with almost any functionality you can imagine, all at the click of a button. It's all your fault, Phil. I blame you. Although this is great and can give tremendous value to a project, I'm seeing some developers pulling in libraries left, right, and center in production solutions without really understanding what it does to the code and the project. It somehow reminds me of the web in the beginning. Just because you can easily put a blink tag around something (laughs) doesn't make it a good idea. Let's not forget the marquee marquee tag. tag. Oh, my God. (laughs) I guess the moral is, as usual, with great power comes great responsibility. Go ahead and use the fabulous resources that are out there. However, make sure you think it through and know what it means to your project, both in the short term and the long term. Carl, Richard, and Phil, great show. Keep up the good work that you do. Cheers. Ola. Cheers, Ola. Thanks, Ola. I have a comment there in that um, using NuGet is great because stuff, you just type the magic keywords and things just appear in your Good project. Good show up, yeah. But the problem is when there are multiple versions of things out there mm. and people write blog posts about you just do this and install this package and there's no date on the blog post. Yes. You don't know that it's been deprecated. You don't know that it's not the latest thing. And so now you end up with four or five versions of the same project all having different names. That sucks. And we blame you, yes, Phil. We blame you, Phil. It's all your fault, great, Phil. Great, great. How do, you, how do you deal with that problem? Uh, so, first of all, I just want to say that this idea of equating uh, NuGet to the marquee tag or the blink tag <laughs> is extremely offensive to me. <laughs> but secondly, uh, although, you know, blink tag did have its uses. I just say. Okay. Really? 
No. No, okay. No. Um, so the thing about the, one thing I like to point out regarding NuGet is that these problems that people are bringing about versioning and multiple mm-hmm. versions, uh, it's not like NuGet introduced these problems. No. These problems existed before NuGet. Yeah, NuGet's true. become an amplifier to those things. In some senses, yeah. yes, because it's made it easier to pull in these third-party yeah, libraries. Right. So if, if before you would have written these libraries yourself, then of course you wouldn't have run into these problems. But the fact that it's made it easier to take advantage of the work that other people have done, yeah. um, yes, it, it does in some sense amplify the problem. Sure. But the uh, on the flip side, we've done as much as we can within the you know constraints of the .NET framework to minimize these problems. Uh, for example, if you Strong naming is a classic example. If you right. don't strongly name your assembly, then you can set these, you know, minimum versions and, and it just works. Mm-hmm. As long as the new version doesn't have a break in changes. If you, um, do something stupid, like, uh, I, I won't name names, but there's a library that rhymes with og for et. And, uh, they actually, <laughs> they, they changed the strong name sign, uh, signature. They actually changed the, uh, um, no, new certs? Like they did the whole... They, they, they changed the strong name key. Oh, no. That's yeah. not good. That, and it's effectively saying... It's equivalent to saying, you know what? This is a completely different library, yeah, different but I'm going to give it to you as the same name. And then every time you try to upgrade it, it Boom. breaks everything. Yeah. yeah. Totally sound. So, you know, there's certain things that you have to follow the constraints. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it just breaks everything. So, there, there's still going to be this pain. Yeah. And you know, some of that pain, NuGet just cannot solve for you. Because no. if you, for example, someone creates a new version of the library and, and renames every method, there's stuff's nothing going to break. Stuff's going to break. Okay. But for the normal normative case where you follow sane versioning rooms, and uh, just to throw a plug out there, we recommend following Semver or semantic versioning. Okay. Uh, you can go to semver.org, and I'm sort of maintaining this now. So as part of the product name, you include the version. So, well, it's part of the way you version your package. Mm-hmm. So, for example, every package has a major, minor, and patch version. And if you incre- uh, create a new version of the project or the package mm-hmm. and you don't introduce any breaking changes just bug fixes you only increment the patch version sure so then um, NuGet actually will automatically upgrade you to the latest patch version if you add new features you increment the minor version mm-hmm. and if you make breaking changes you increment the major version right and then people can reason oh this is a new major version but there's, there's n- probably breaking changes but there's no real help if you actually start out with a package that's named one thing with maybe the name beta in it and then the mm, new ver- the real version comes out, and then another version comes out, and they all have different names. Yeah. So you at that really point, you're but on you've your you've own. You've done it to yourself at that point. Yeah. Well, or or the package authors inflicted that right. on yeah. you. Yeah. Hey, Ola, there you go. That's a great <laughs> answer for your question. And a right .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd Ooh. like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. <laughs> They have over 350 complex courses written by industry experts and people such as appear on this show, MVPs and the like. And they introduce 8 to 10 new shows a month, sometimes 12 shows a month. And uh, you can get a subscription for starting at just $29 a month. Pluralsight.com. Check them out. And with that, a formal welcome to Mr. Phil Hack. Yeah! (laughs) 
Phil Hack, star of stage, screen, uh, ASP.NET, MVC, NuGet, and now GitHub. Is there anything that you don't do? I mean, that's... Show tunes. No show tunes. No show tunes? No, not yet. Tell me you have a Barbra Streisand streak. <laughs> I bet you, you do. You have a karaoke medal? No, I'm no? terrible at karaoke, <laughs> really? unfortunately, yeah. Well, we should go tonight and find out. There's plenty of places in L.A. Oh. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Woohoo. I, I got a story about karaoke. Is she here? Is my wife here? She leave? No, she, she might, she might have get, got me another coffee because I spilled mine. Yep. Well, anyway, I don't, you know, I sing. And, uh, <laughs> but come on. You really sing. Okay. But I <laughs> promised myself I would never do karaoke. Yeah. And it turns out that we were ha- my band was having a rehearsal one night with the horn section, which the horn section of my band, the Franklin Brothers band, is called the Brass Souls. Don't say it fast. <laughs> anyway, so after this rehearsal, we're rehearsing some Stevie Wonder tunes, and we go downstairs, down the bottom of the studio, there's like a Irish pub there, and there's a karaoke guy there. No. And I said... In hey, Hennepin's? Yeah. That's I say, not right. hey, do you happen to have like a superstition in there by Stevie Wonder? And he says, well, yes, I do. So I said to the brass guys, hey, go get your horns. <laughs> So we did superstition with a horn section nice. at karaoke. And you sang it. Them. Yeah. All you right, sang enough, karaoke? enough about that. Let's talk about Phil. I'm shattered. Yeah, I did. I'm and not, I, I'm I, not willing to let this go. Just you sang I know, karaoke. I know. It was very, very... My world. I just got to let you know, these guys have been drinking bourbon in the RV all the way here. So <laughs> this explains a lot. <laughs> hey, Phil's here. Hey, Phil. Hi, Phil. Hi, guys. Is it almost a year you've been at... GitHub now? Yeah, it'll be December 7th. It'll be one year at GitHub. Wow, December 7th. So, GitHub and Pearl Harbor. Nice combination. <laughs> I, I never like, thought of it that way. association. <laughs> so, 70 years after Pearl Harbor, you went to GitHub. So, let's talk about Git before we talk about GitHub. Okay. What is Git? <laughs> so, Git is a distributed version control system that... Uh, it's uh, meant to be very flexible, powerful, and um, it's sort of taken over the version control system um, area these days. It really has. It really has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you uh, talk to anyone. And what's interesting about it is it was written by Linus Torvalds, who's also n- famous for Linux. So right. uh, he's not a one-hit wonder. Mm-mm. And uh, clearly it came out of a need he had around Linux. Absolutely. So, you know, Linux is this huge system and this idea of centralized version control was just really constraining them. So he decided to write this whole, you know, Git system. And it's really amazing in that when you um, originally, when I first approached Git, I thought, how could this possibly work? This idea of I can make my changes in isolation. I don't have to synchronize this with a central server. Right. That everybody can check out the same bits. Yeah. It it just sounded crazy. But when you start working on it, it's if you're familiar with databases, it it becomes very clear. This is optimistic concurrency versus pessimistic concurrency. Right. Sure. And all, you know, SVN and, and TFS and source con- source safe, they all work sort of on this pessimistic concurrency right. model. Um, but when you start working with uh, Git, you realize that uh, you know you can easily fork something. You get the whole history and the mm-hmm. whole repository. You make your changes and you you push it back. So you're now you're going to get into the locking model. That means when you go to check in, you're going to check to see that the version that was there before you checked in. Is the same version when you took copy. So, well, with Git, you just work in your local 
copy of the repository. Right. And then at some point, you will want to uh, send a re- pull request to this uh, a central repository. All right. So and, typic- and pull request means? So a pull request is basically a request to say, take these changes I've made and and integrate them into your copy of the repository. That sounds like pushing. Uh, p- sure, pushing. But you call it pull. Uh, yeah, so I, I actually don't know why it was called pull request, other than I imagine that they named it according to what the maintainers are doing, right. which is pulling these changes that someone submitted to them and saying, okay. yeah, we will merge these changes into our version. And our version is, you know, the quote, official version. Right. But the nice thing about decentralized version is the only official version is the one that everyone agrees is the official mm-hmm. version. So it's, it's in some ways very communism, right? It's very much <laughs> like communism. It's, it's that um, if at some point nobody likes likes the version you're maintaining, but they all like this other version, then th- that becomes what everyone considers the official version. Right. It's all decentralized. And everyone has the access to the full repository, which is the important part, I think. Hmm. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you'll find a jQuery-based toolset that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com .net. That's D-O-T-N-E-T to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So now GitHub is a company that has turned what have they done with git so at the time the problem was a lot of times you would send these pull requests or these patches via email to uh, one another and what uh, github did is provide a central web host for git repositories and so um the nice thing is git is still decentralized in the sense that if github goes down you can still work on your repository you can still send each other patches but github creates a nice central place for coordinating working on the uh, canonical version of your library Mm -hmm. but then um the the key innovation as far as i'm concerned that github added was the whole model pull request so i i mentioned pull requests as if it was a feature of git okay but it's more of a feature of github Hmm. that you can send this pull request and uh what happens is um let's say i'm the maintainer of a project and i see your pull request and i'll see the all the changes that you made to the code and i can start inline commenting on the changes Mm -hmm. and then we'll start to have this discussion on the changes that you made and say, hey, you should change this. Please fix this. This is really cool. And then over time, we'll collaborate and and work on that change set until I'm at the point where I said, oh, you've addressed all my concerns and then I accept the pull request and it now is part of the canonical version of the software. So you sort of hold back your acceptance until you can have this conversation and get it in the shape that you want. 
Yeah. So there's this confusion about open source that I, I see it with a lot of people that open source is a free for all, you know, some, some sort of. No, there's a lot of dictators for life involved in. Oh, absolutely. Source. So there's a lot of people think when you open source something, it becomes like Wikipedia where anyone can go in and edit and then you get this endless edit wars, you know, with everyone disagreeing on whether Han shot first or not. Right. So, Han shot first, by uh, the way. He definitely Just did. Saying. I agree. It's George, on. stop it. Stop it, George. <laughs> Disney will make this right. Mm-hmm. But the what point. Am I yeah, but the point is, like, with open source, you know, the idea is that someone is in control of sort of the main code base. And so, there's a process of review that happens. Just like with your proprietary software, there's a sure. process of review. And so, when I see your source is ready to be included in the main base, I will then accept it. But until then, we need a nice way to collaborate and work together to say, hey, look, these are the changes we think you should make before we accept this. And so, GitHub has become sort of the place for doing that sort of collaboration on software. It's really become the social media hub of developers. Yeah. So, you know, our motto has been social coding for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it really, um, it really lives true to that idea of uh, being a social network that's not around, you know, what you ate for breakfast or, or you know, these sort of things, but more around what are you doing? What are you building? I'm just surprised that you, you know, part of the pull request is sort of this take my code. And this conversation comes up that is really delaying taking the code. Like, I'm amazed that we've resisted the adversarial potential of that. I'm not taking your code. Your stuff sucks. Like, like you could get very dark on that part of it. It, oh. d- it doesn't seem to happen all that often, though. Uh, yeah, does it doesn't it? happen often, but it does happen occasionally. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of the great semicolon debate. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but I sure watched the, li- the, the Linus Torvald storm around GitHub. That yeah. was pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's funny because we've addressed most of those concerns uh, since he's said that, but he hadn't been on it. Well, you have to to say what he said because people might not know. Oh, geez. What was the gist of what he said? I think the gist was he was really concerned about the way we allowed commit messages to not fit sort of what he felt was the right. His format. He's very, very particular. I mean, he is the dictator for life on Linux. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole conversation started with somebody saying, why the heck isn't Linux in GitHub. And he and he said he was very direct about here's why. Da, da, yeah. da, 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 right? He was he does he pulls no punches. Yeah. And he's not rude per se. Where it got ugly was that when people piled on to him about, you know, that's ridiculous, then the Torvalds defenders came in and that's when it got ugly. Well, you, you know, he comes across as a bit abrasive and a lot of people would say he's a bit of an asshole. Mm-hmm. But we sort of felt like, you know, yeah, he, he He's may, managing an incredibly difficult project. Exactly. And he he may he, whether he's an asshole or not is irrelevant to the fact that some of his uh, complaints were actually right. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, yeah, we should address addressing. Yeah. So you, you, you brought up this social media and communism and open source like <laughs> in the last 10 minutes. But, but it really sort of paints a picture that I don't think is deserved, which is you do not have to have an open source project to put it on GitHub. Is that true? So that is a really good point. Um, so we do have this concept of private repositories. 
and mm-hmm. that's actually where uh, you know you pay for. Um, so if you have a public how repository, actually makes its living. Yeah, that's how we make our living. So if you have a private project that you're working on, you can put it use a private repository and put it up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also now have a product called GitHub Enterprise. So if you're concerned about having your code in the cloud, even though it's private, you may not trust our security. For example, you could actually have a version of GitHub that runs within your firewall, and uh, it, it um, is geared towards you know larger enterprises that want all the collaboration tools of GitHub, but running within their firewalls where they can feel a little more trusting of it. Not that you shouldn't trust our you know private repos, but mm-hmm. uh, some some folks have requirements that it needs to be within their firewall. So where does where's the if you're using TFS right now, where does the integration point of uh, GitHub? Is it a one or the other, or is there ways that you guys work together? So right now, um, recently TFS introduced uh, Git support. Hmm. So you that opens up a whole plethora of ways for um, integrating Git and GitHub with TFS. Some of the features of Git and GitHub. I'm sorry, GitHub and TFS overlap, but a lot of the features don't. For mm. example, we don't have build servers available for mm-hmm. you. Um, that's where TFS can come into play. So I imagine that there, I, I've heard of a lot of groups, for example, who uh, like some features of TFS, but like other f- ways that GitHub d- does things. And so they used to build Git to TFS bridges and would work. Uh, this, this even happened within certain large corporations that rhyme with Microsoft. Microsoft. Uh, so, where they would never they, heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Probably a company you never heard of. Yeah. But they there was even teams within there that would actually use Git, and then they would push to the TFS over a bridge. Mm-hmm. But now you don't even need that bridge anymore because, you know, it, TFS supports Git. Hmm. That's very cool. Interesting. And like I said, there's different pieces that, that TFS has some strengths and mm-hmm. uh, separate from Git. I mean, I think that the for me, the... the the whole pull request conversation around code thing is a distinctive feature of GitHub. I've never seen the equivalent anywhere else. Yeah. But, I mean, TFS's strength, as a guy who you know manages a certain number of projects, it's my ability to see what my devs are up to without having to ask them. You know, just so that and the analytics around their behavior inside of Studio. I don't yeah. know that GitHub has even the equivalent of that. Yeah, so GitHub sort of takes a different philosophical model towards mm-hmm. managing developers. Um, so uh, one of my coworkers has this great talk where he talks about the GitHub management style. And he has a Venn diagram. He has a big circle here, which says problems that GitHub has. And then he has this other non-intersecting circle that says problems that managers solve. <laughs> and so, at, so at, at GitHub, we don't have managers. So we're not really big on this top-down management style where, you know, I need to command and control everybody. You know, we sort of feel that's... Um, and, and you're talking that, about, you're not just talking about GitHub, the product. You're talking no, about, I'm talking GitHub, about the GitHub, the company. Yeah. But the product sort of follows from the company. Sure. It, follow, it falls from how you we work. nobody you report to? Nobody. 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 Just my wife. Well, uh, let, we will refer to her hereafter as she who must be obeyed. The one who yes. must be obeyed. That's a different thing. And we all I, have those. I have yeah. met your wife. She terrifies me, actually. So <laughs> I would not want to be on the wrong side of her at all. She's wonderful. She's fabulous. <laughs> so, but, so how do we? How do you get a raise if you have nobody to report to? <laughs> let, I mean, let's get to the essence of this. How do you get a raise? Um, 
You know, it's a good question. It just happens. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get a tweet no. bonus? Like, you know, so, the number of Twitter followers you have? You know, that, that, that's one of the challenges we are dealing with is how do you have a coherent review system yeah. when, how do when you nobody be successful reports in your job without a reporting system? Yeah, that's not that. No, so... Um, you're, so you're... And, and to quote the, uh, the audience member there, so your reviews are in the Git system. No, no. Our reviews are not in the Git system. No. We don't have a review system. Okay. We, we don't have like... So at Microsoft, I had a uh, semi half yearly review and yeah. then the full year review. But you also set a bunch of goals too, right? Yeah, you we had set a, whole a bunch of goals. Go scorecard about right. how you did that. Yeah. So at GitHub, we sort of model the way we work a lot like the open source community at large. Think about the open source community. You know, a lot of people ask, well, if you don't have these, you know, bonuses and all that, mm -hmm. like, why would anyone work hard? But let's look at the open source community. Are, are any of you involved in open source here? Open source folks? Any contributors? Like okay, two just or three hands? Two, two or three. Yeah. And does anyone pay you to do that? No, no, of course not, right? Some people do, but most people don't. Right. But they work really hard at it anyways. And why? Because you don't want to, you know, respect of your peers, mm -hmm. you enjoy the work, you enjoy... And the project's important to you. Exactly. So, that's sort of the model that we follow in that, you know, we build these... Um, teams that are really interested in building these things. I mean, we're paid well. Yes. Like, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we're not overly concerned about like, oh, you know, can I get to the next level and can I manage a large team? We're yep. more concerned about like building great products that developers love. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we're still figuring out like, how do we scale this model out to really large Cause, scale? Yeah. Cause GitHub has grown a lot. Yeah. So, when I joined, we were 50 around mm -hmm. and now we're at 130. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't even been a year yet. Wow. It's, it's just still a very small company. Still very small. Like but we know that there are larger companies that have this non-hierarchical model. Um, if right. you've heard of Valve, you know, who mm -hmm. makes Half-Life. Sure. Right. I think they're at about 400. And they came out with this amazing handbook. And you, I highly recommend reading it. That talks about non-hierarchical uh, management models. Right. And then uh, 3M and Gore-Tex or Gore Associates are famous for not having hierarchical hierarchies and managers mm. so, and they're much larger than we are so sure. we know that at least we can reach that goal right you know hopefully you're yeah. not purely inventing new things yes well richard you know what time it is oh it must be that happy time again it's the happiest happy time you know why why because this is the show where we give away the five thousand dollar prize awesome and you know what we have our winner chosen at random on the line right now a big hand for mr rob corbett oh congratulations rob That's not just a golf clap. That's a big round of applause for Rob. Hey, <laughs> Rob, so uh, how are you, how are you feeling right now? Well, uh, pretty flabbergasted. This is pretty amazing. I, I just don't know what to say. I'm, uh, I'm a little shocked and stunned. Well, it was kind of funny because it was Richard's idea to do it this way. He said that we should just, when we pick someone at random, we should email them and say, hey, if you had your druthers, would you pick from, you know, package A, B, C, or D, package A being, you know, a fully decked out laptop, package B being the 3D printer setup, package C being a desktop machine, package 4 being one of every kind of mobile device? Yeah, I, I got that email this morning. I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know, I'm, 
I'm 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 a listener of the show. I'll I'll I'll, I'll help him out with whoever gets to win this. Great. I'll I'll reply. So you thought it was sort of a form letter? I I did actually. I'm like, hmm, okay, form letter, <laughs> no problem. I'll I'll give them their I'll, I'll give them my feedback. So your feedback was C because you think the desktop is is the new gaming platform. Yes, I I, I saw that quote somewhere. My my next gen gaming platform will be PC or something like that. I, Nice. So, so you've had a day to make up your mind. Have you figured out which package you want? Um, I think the desktop pack sounds pretty cool. The, uh, the, 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 the loads of mobile devices would be pretty awesome, too. Yeah, so. it's hard to resist a pile of gadgets. <laughs> but I, I'm also aware of the idea that it's, it's what you need. I, I don't need another desktop computer. But if you need a good desktop computer, let us build you one. Well, gee, yeah, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, where are you from? I'm from uh, originally I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I'm uh, living in Ottawa right now. And what do you do for work? Uh, I'm a web developer, actually. That's awesome. How long have you been listening to the show? Oh, geez, uh, a bit over a year now. Uh, a year ago, a friend of mine got me, got me into listening to uh, development podcasts. And I've uh, I've been listening to you guys for the past uh, steadily for the past eight months or so. Oh, that's great! Nice. Well, congratulations again. Thank you so much. That's amazing. All right, and we'll be in touch as soon as we uh, go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to hearing from you. All right, Rob. Take hey, care. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah. And for all the listeners, uh, congratulations to Rob. Uh, have a happy Christmas. It should be Christmas right about now, actually. Mm -hmm. And we'll be doing this again next year in December. But until then, every show we're going to give away something. So sign up for the .NET Rocks fan club right now. Go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and you too could win great swag. Right now we're giving away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection in every show. We just gave away a $5,000 package to a lucky winner, and we'd like to ask our uh, guests, if you had five grand to spend on toys, toys. technology, what, would you, what would you get? Wow, that is that is a great a question. Star Trek replicator? <laughs> no? You get the five grand, that's awesome. No, Ooh, so. yeah. A MakerBot uh, 3D printer. Oh, well, yeah. A lot of people like that. Yeah, yeah. The 3D printer kit is a cool one, because the new UltraBot out in January. Yeah. That's about 2500 bucks, but it's a pretty good printer. Yeah, apparently we just got one at the San Francisco office and oh, yeah. it's connected to Hubot, which is our robot agent mm -hmm. and uh, so we can send jobs to it, but I haven't tried it out yet. Um, there's a ca I can actually see it in action if I go to some certain URL. It takes a while to print something. Yeah, it's actually. slow. Yeah. It's slow. It's not a trivial thing. Speaking of 3D printers, today we were at SpaceX. Yes, we, we were. Went to a, we went to SpaceX uh, for a tour, a private tour. Yeah, Elon Musk's company making the, the Falcon 9 rocket. And they manufacture their own metal parts there with a little 3D metal printer. A sinter printer. Yeah, so it's they're amazing. Using, they're using uh, uh, metal sintering to assemble pro metal products, including that little chunk. It, they, it, was like it, was a, it was incredibly fine mesh. So only when you held it up to a bright light in a certain angle, you realize I can see through this metal. But it was uh, a an half inch thick piece yeah, of metal, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big hunk of metal. You were there. I was there. You yeah, you guys let me come. You and your Thank brother. Thank you. We had such a good time. Yeah. It was awesome. I think that's the future of manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to change things. All right. The replicator today. Yeah. The replicator today. Early days. T. Earl Grey. Hot. Nice. I can't wait for that day. 
All right, let's jump back into this because I, I want to talk further. This organizational element. I mean, obviously, you've been working there for a year. They haven't fired you. <laughs> I can't imagine who would fire you. You have no boss. You're Phil Hack. <laughs> nope. You know, people can get fired, but uh, yeah, hopefully not for me. Well, it seems like the selection process is pretty rigorous there, too. Yeah, and we're continually refining it. Mm -hmm. We really want to make sure that anyone we hired doesn't leave. And so far, um, you know, knock on wood, but so far in its four-year four history, nobody has left... Uh, GitHub voluntarily. Hmm. So, we have zero turnover in that regard. Right. And I think in part because there's this whole philosophy, you know, and I, I gush like a little schoolgirl here, but there's this whole <laughs> philosophy of optimize for happiness. And it's really a great uh, system. And uh, just the other day, I think we were talking about uh, the contrast between Walmart and uh, Costco, where the Costco CEO takes this, uh, from a CEO perspective, a relatively small salary, mm -hmm. and he pays his um, employees really well, so much so that Wall Street analysts were saying, oh, this guy pays his employees too much. He should pay them less. Right. And I'm thinking, are you insane? His yeah. employees are ec ecstatic. Love their, their company job. is doing really well. Meanwhile, Walmart... A study just came out where it's actually a drain on the you know U.S. government's resources, you know, because yes. it doesn't pay its employees enough for them to make a living wage, and and so they have to rely on public uh, subsist um, like welfare yeah. and all that. Sure. Whereas Costco employees are, are paid enough to live as decent human beings. Mm -hmm. So, so when you pay your employees well, when you treat them well, great things happen. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to have the money to pay them well. Sure, but the, yeah. the money comes from, it's sort of chicken egg, right? The money it comes is. from employees who are really motivated to do great work. Right. You know, we, GitHub's been profitable since it's been around. But you have taken some investment money now, too. Uh, yeah, we have. Yeah, which I, I wonder how much that's going to change the company. Well, so far, I haven't seen any uh, noticeable change. Nobody's driving a Ferrari? No, nobody's driving a Ferrari yet. <laughs> We're trying to print one, but it Not doesn't quite ah, uh, scale to that point. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, th so the inv the investment was really interesting because we were, um, unlike many startups where they take investment really early and yeah. then they're suddenly slaves to the investors. And and investors will do, you know, dirty tricks like, oh, we just put more people on the board than you had, than the original founders, and we decided to kick out you as the CEO, yeah, right. things like that. So we were able, we had been profitable for for four years. So we were able to set our own terms and said, look, if... If something, if the right deal comes along, you know, we'll consider it. Otherwise, we don't actually need the money. Yeah. Mm. But the benefit of the money is that it may help us grow even faster. Yeah, accelerate the business. And, 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 you know, pursue certain avenues that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're really, you know, cognizant of this whole idea that innovator's dilemma where if you don't disrupt your own business as Steve Jobs said someone yeah. else will yeah. right. so we don't want to pigeon our, pigeonhole ourselves into just what we're doing today but really expand out and think about other things that are sort of related to what we're doing that uh, could really propel our business to the next generation mm -hmm. so where do you see that going? With well, GitHub, or is there anything you can't talk about? <laughs> well, I think the thing that I can talk about is um, I, I, I really think, you know, we still are very focused on software sure. and collaboration in that area. But you start to see these things that other people are doing in other countries. For example, um, in Germany, they posted all their laws on GitHub.com. Yeah. And I thought, that's amazing. I and mean, imagine if you could go and every time they pass a new law, you could do a diff. 
and say, oh, here's exactly what changed about this law. Wow. Rather than just, you know, like basically not knowing, which yeah. is like... Well, or having to read, count on somebody to read through it. I mean, how many times have we had like the Wall Street Journal having to go through an update yeah. to a law and it's up to them to find those things? Yeah, there's right. no way for like for American laws, there's no way for us to know what really changed. You guys write horrible laws. Yeah, like, we, we do. 60, 100, 200 page yeah. laws. Like, what do you, they, they cut the, they've, They've unlike Canada, which back has 20, 25 claims. Unlike Canada, which has no bureaucracy whatsoever. <laughs> no, not a bit. <laughs> we use the English system. There's no bureaucracy. Yeah, we just yell no at red, each other. There's no red tape. What? So. <laughs> so, you know, going back to that, I can imagine GitHub being sort of a hub for that sort of thing yeah. you know, in some degree. Well, there's no reason that you have to focus on source code. You can focus on any document inside and, of GitHub. So well, anything have a conversation and that's the thing it. we talked about last time you were on, which was, you know, using GitHub for things other than software. Mm. Anything that's versionable yeah. and anything that needs to be kept up to date and stored yeah. yeah but also having a clear picture of the history and a clear history of the reasoning behind the right. change right and being able to see the discussions around it as mm -hmm. well is the is the key part so uh you know clay uh shirky who's really well known in the social media circles uh gave a really great talk about uh, what he thought the future of democracy is and um we were really pleased to see that he he featured github front and center hmm. in that and he wow. talked about ways that um you know tools like github could be this um Give more power to the people. Yeah, this causes a participatory democracy rather exactly. than representative democracy. Yeah. So these are like, you know, more pie in the sky, right? Like I, I don't see the government changing overnight and no. putting everything in GitHub. But long term, these are the kinds of directions that I could see us pursuing now. Ooh, tracking candidates' voting records. Well, yes. making that oh, visible to everybody. My, my, my. I mean, how many times, even over the course of your last election, we're just like, every time you see someone stand up and talk, you want to know where their money came from. Actually, what, and also what I want to yeah. know is realtimefactcheck.org. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole, yeah. Wasn't this the fact check election, really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's the reality, which is the information age, is sure. that, especially once we have, well, we made our donations our to, to get to Wikipedia today. We did, both you and I. Because uh, the primary use of Wikipedia is to call bullshit. That's, <laughs> That's right. actually what you use it for. When somebody says something like, wait just one moment just one here second. while I go fact check what you just said. I um, told my girls, but I have two kids and uh, I told, well, I have four now, but I told my biological children years ago that, you know, when you grow up, you're going to have the internet in the palm of your hand. And when somebody tells you something is this, before you buy into it, you just go check it out. Just look it up. And it's your portable bullshit detector. Snopes.com. Yeah. Just remember that URL, yeah. right? Yeah. Before and is you it going to be in their hand or is it going to be implanted in their brain? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, Sorry. That's next. At least next. in their hands. That's next. Uh, I think the glasses are next, but <laughs> direct wiring. You know, I thought about that as we, you know, because there's no pictures allowed in SpaceX as we were walking around today. What if I had the Google glasses? Like, yeah. I had a camera if, mounted on my I, head. How would they know? Yeah. I don't know that they Well, then the big bulky thing that comes Oh, well, out. now yeah. they would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. now they would. But. In the future, they'd just look like glasses. And we're getting, into, getting to an interesting point. Problems of the future. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of active reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. makes it a lot more efficient. 
Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. What other things have you seen checked into GitHub? Besides, I mean, it's fascinating that all the German bills are being checked in there, but what else? What is so, the guy in regular enterprise besides source code? So, um, you know, given that we went to SpaceX today, we saw a lot of um, NASA is putting a lot of their code in there. So mm -hmm. you can go there and see, for example, the Mars Curiosity code, that sort of thing. No, wait, they make it public? Uh, a lot of the Na well, I don't know if Mars Curiosity. I, I might have made that up, but a lot of the NASA's. <laughs> there's a, Wait, actually, I'll, I'll call up Wikipedia. Hang on, let me look I'll, at I'll my portable bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you need to fact check me on yeah. that. Actually, but there's a lot of NASA source code. They, uh, huh. if you go to the, um, I forget the exact page, um, but they have an organization and they have a lot of source code for like the, uh, you know, maybe the Apollo missions. Maybe it's more okay. in the past, but you can actually find that was a not lot. Much of code, right? Like, uh, well, no, it was, but it's all like assembly, right? It's a bunch of ADA. Or uh, pre a, well, pre-ADA is like yeah. assembly ADA. Eight K of memory in the Apollo computer, right? <laughs> yeah, you, that's still a lot of code. If you were keen enough, you would memorize it and just speak it all out <laughs> bite by bite. I'm just saying, it's yeah. only eight K. Um, <laughs> we're also seeing, uh, so I mean, you know, most of what we have is source code, but we're seeing a lot of people. Uh, one of our employees published a book in there. Uh, we're seeing oh. people, you know, uh, there was a Wired magazine article oh, who... yeah, that's who, what's cool. Yeah, he, so he published his uh, book, his, uh, sorry, his article as Markdown in the in the article, and he allowed people to send pull requests right. uh, to it. They made edits to it. They also translated it. Yeah, yeah. So, they translated it. And right now, you know, the interface is a little arcane, I think, for the average non-developer. Mm -hmm. But that's a, a whole area of opportunity. Yeah, like to like build an iPad wrapper over top of that to pull the magazine articles. Yeah, exactly. But to be able to have people able to comment on the article and get it pushed back. And yeah, imagine if you're reading Wired Magazine in your, wire, in your iPad, and you can say, you know what? He misspelled this word or this is wrong and I'm just going to correct it in line yep. submit it back to him and then they can accept that at their leisure. And it just appears. Right? Yeah. So at some point that's where I'd love to see you know GitHub eventually get to is, mm -hmm. is it being this collaboration tool for um, people. Like one area I always think about that I think it would be extremely hard but I would love to get to is lawyers. You ever like have to review a contract and there's like 10 copies of a Word document yep. with change tracking on mm -hmm. that all have different changes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's well, no way to reconcile all ten oh, yeah, of them. It's a nightmare. It's a you nightmare. Can't even read the thing. The and one you think truth. if a contract was in Markdown and you could just like see the history and 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 mic your edits, yep. it would be wonderful. It'd be a great way to do it. And I, I deal with contracts a lot. I or I used to deal with the contracts a lot at Microsoft uh, with the, the whole open source you know stuff that we're trying all to pushing stuff, there. Yep. And so like this idea of, like reviewing Word documents just killed me. Oh, it's terrible. So I think really someone terrible. had a question. We have a question from the audience. Actually, that's a question related to the Word documents. I, I use Bitbucket with Mercurial, which is similar to GitHub. Bitbucket? Yes. Yeah. And uh, what happens is, uh, so it, like you just mentioned documents, every time I submit Word documents, they actually submit it as binary, so I don't have a history. So if I want to keep history, I'm actually forced to keep a text file. Yeah. So how do you guys address that? Are you planning to have some kind of diffs on Word documents and Excel files? So. Like so we don't currently address. We pretty much have the same issue that uh, Bitbucket has, which is we treat them as binaries. But Word documents are something that we actually can deal with at some point. Um, with Git, there are um, 
there's a feature, I forget the exact term for it, but uh, there's certain filters that you can apply to a Git repository where you can tell it how to understand certain document types. Really? So not just straight text files? Not just straight text, right. Cool. So you could, um, and if you think about it, what a Word document is, is a zip file. Um, it's a uh, OPC or open packaging convention, but mm -hmm. it's a zip, effectively a zip file that contains a bunch of XML documents inside. So ultimately, it is just text. Right. You just have to crack it open and peek inside and look at all that stuff. Mm. And and the only reason I know this is because NuGet package format is exactly the same format. Really? It's OPC. Yeah. It's a great format. Yeah, it's a nice format. It's a zip file. Everyone understands zip. So if you ever take a Word document, rename it to .zip, and then open it up, and you'll actually get to look at the innards of it, and, and it's kind of interesting. Or not. If you... <laughs> it's interesting to us. It's interesting if you're a total nerd. <laughs> Absolutely. Or if you want to write some sort of transformative code. Yeah, yeah, if you want to transform that document. In the end, it's all XML, isn't it? It, it is. It really yeah. is. Does anybody else have a question for Phil? All right, right in front here. Sir? Yeah, when will uh, GitHub support Mercurial as a client, if at all? Ooh. <laughs> the better version. The better version control system, oh. he says. Oh, oh. better version control. Now, should we talk a little bit about Mercurial and what it is? What do you know about Mercurial? So, Mercurial is also a distributed version control system. Mm -hmm. um, it's... Uh, considered by many to be friendly on Windows, although that's sort of what I've been working on is making That is it, your job. You're the Windows make, guy for GitHub. Right. So, uh, a lot of people have, you know, introduced GitHub for Windows 2 have said, oh, this makes it so that I don't need to do Mercurial on Windows. Right. Some people are still sold on Mercurial for um, whatever reasons. And, and there's a lot of advantages of Mercurial that uh, I can understand why people like it, but there's a lot of advantages to Git as well. Mm -hmm. The problem that I think a lot of Windows users have with Git is that Git was sort of designed with, from the Linux guys, right? Yeah, and sure. So it's, it's very command line. It can be, it's very command line centric. It can be a little arcane. And it also gives you full power so that it's like a bi holding a big gun. It's very easy sure. to shoot your foot off. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, whereas Mercurial protects you from a lot of things, but at some point it sort of protects you from things that sometimes you really want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, so I would, I used Mercurial for a good while and I really liked it. But once I understood sort of the zen of Git, I, I prefer it now mm -hmm. uh, to Mercurial. Now, as to whether GitHub will ever support Mercurial, uh, I think the chances of that are very small. Um, I wouldn't discount us ever having sort of a bridge to it. Uh, if you ever, if you're a subversion user, for example, um, you can actually uh, use SVN and clone a GitHub repo and it just works. Hmm. We have this seamless integration, uh, seamless um, bridge from subversion to Git. So um, you should try it. Go to Tortoise SVN, clone a, a GitHub uh, URL, start doing commits with Tortoise SVN and it just works. Now, um, we haven't done that with Mercurial because Mercurial is similar enough to Git where we sort of feel like, well, just use Git. Right. Um, but uh, Subversion is different enough and is popular enough where we felt that was a worthwhile investment. Sure. Well, and, and same thing with this TFS bridge. It's just, you know, yes, exactly. different organizations handling things differently. Yeah, yeah. And each can take on a role there. Mm -hmm. Any other questions for Phil? We have another question from the audience. Thank you. Pretty simple question. The integration with Visual Studio 2012, could you elaborate on that one more time? Uh, the integration of what? Of GitHub. Oh, GitHub? Yeah. Uh, so, right now we have no real integration with Visual Studio 2012. Um, right. And uh, we don't currently have any 
plans publicly that we'll talk about yet uh, regarding that. But there is a TFS that you talked about before. Oh, you're talking about TFS. I should have said TFS. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, TFS announced that, um, recently announced the Git support for, uh, uh, via the Git-TF um, uh, product. Mm-hmm. And so, you so this can... this is actually an initiative from the TFS team yes, to be able yeah. to Yeah, so it's nothing to do with GitHub. Okay. So yeah. You guys are going to make a studio plugin, right? I'm not talking about that. That'll okay. be great if it does happen. <laughs> yeah. We'd like you to make a studio plugin. Yeah, can I? Can sure. I'm with you. How many hands? How many folks here? We We'd like a plug-in. Git plugin for studio. That's right, more, half this more room, than, more than half. We're the room. all in. <laughs> Just we're here to Any, gather data for you, Phil. Anyone Thank else you. got a du- tomato for Phil? Duly noted. <laughs> duly noted. Anyone else got a tomato for Phil? <laughs> <laughs> Tomatoes. A tomato. Does anybody have an MVC or NuGet question for Phil? We have another question from the audience. Uh, I'm tired of hearing we have to learn like Android, OS, you know, all this Objective-C. Can, do you know if Microsoft would ever have plans to create framework which converts Silverlight project or XAML, which is familiar for everyone, to all of the platforms and we just learn one language and just develop for all and deploy for all? I am all for that. Yeah. Phil, you can do, do this, right? Phil, you'll fix it for us, won't you? So Phil, if, if you want that, the people to talk to is probably not Microsoft, but talk to Miguel de Casa. Xamarin. Uh, Xamarin, yes. I'll tell you what, as far as I know, the closest thing I've seen in theory, and I haven't checked it out myself, use the Xamarin tools, which is mono develop and mono droid, or mono, mono for Android, Android yeah. rather. Mono develop for iOS, mono, and you can use C sharp for iOS and Android, right? And Windows Phone, Windows 8. There is also a project at CodePlex called MVVM Cross that supposedly lets you build the entire view model back from the back end, all in C-sharp, all cross-platform. So now you're just building the UIs in you know, Eclipse for, for Android, in Xcode for iOS, in Visual Studio, XAML for Windows Phone, and everything from the view model back is all one code base. Yeah. Now, so, I, don't, I don't know how it works. I haven't tried it. But on the road trip, I learned about this, and I have, really have to check it out, and it's called MVVM Cross. What about PhoneGap? What do you think about that one? Some people take it serious. Some people say it's like toy, you know? Definitely uh, not a toy. Oh, PhoneGap's definitely not a toy. It's a great tool if you want to program in JavaScript and HTML and mm-hmm. have it run cross-platform. Yeah. But if yeah. you really like C Sharp, I highly recommend looking into MonoDevelop, MonoGame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I w- I'm, uh, just to plug another thing, mm-hmm. I'm also on the board of uh, Monkey Square, which mm-hmm. is a nonprofit. Uh, Foundation, effectively, a foundation that's trying to promote open source on .NET, which is relatively new, but it's actually the the group responsible for the uh, what used to be called Mono uh, Mono Monospace. Monospace, yeah, thank you. Uh, but we renamed the conference to Monkey Space uh, to fit with the Monkey Square theme, but also to expand the scope of it beyond just Mono and really enc- encompass all of .NET open source. And when I was at this conference, my eyes were really open to um, uh, some of the ways that C Sharp 
in particular is being pushed outside of Microsoft. Sure. So recently, you know, we we see that Anders Heilsberg, who I I think is a god and amazing, man. amazing guy, but he's really focusing his time on TypeScript and Mads Torgerson. They're focused on TypeScript. So you wonder who's kind of an Eric Lippert. We just learned just left Microsoft. So who's manning C Sharp? Yeah. And um, you know, Microsoft's still investing in C Sharp. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make any conspiracy theories. But at the same time, what you're seeing though is that the community is really stepping up here. Uh, right. Xamarin especially. Uh, the Mono community is really stepping up mm-hmm. into the space. So there's uh, platforms like Mono Game, which I was thoroughly impressed yeah, by. Blown away. Extraordinary. Yeah. And, and there's the Unity platform as well. Mono Game basically lets you use C Sharp and uh, XNA. Yeah, right? XNA. To create so, games on every platform with a single code. Base. Including Windows 8, because in their infinite wisdom, you cannot build an XNA game for Windows 8 using yeah. Microsoft tools, believe it or not. Uh, not, yeah. on the, not on the, quote, Metro side. You not a, right. yeah, you sorry. WinRT. Win, yeah. You cannot build a WinRT yeah. uh, ga- uh, game, but with Mono Game, you actually can. And uh, what's really interesting about it is that um, uh, the, you know these guys made it work on uh, WinRT, and they're really. Uh, um, there was this game that they showed called Bastion, which mm-hmm. was apparently a huge hit on Xbox, and these guys were uh, unable. To, it would have been a huge amount of effort to port this to any other platform. But through using, uh, I think they use Monogame or either Monogame or Unity, but either way, they're using Mono. Mm -hmm. And they were able to port the game to C Sharp and then get it to run on the iPad. And, and, you know, they're going to sell a lot more copies on the iPad than on WinRT initially, right? Sure. You know, let's be frank here. Yeah, just Uh, sheer numbers. Yeah, sheer numbers game, right? You know. So, like, if you want, if you're writing, especially if you're writing games or certain apps, and you want it to run on both iPad and on Mac and on Windows, then using a framework like Mono, Mono Game, X, Unity, um, whatever it may be, um, is really the one of the better ways to go if you want to program in C Sharp. Now, if you're willing to use JavaScript, you know, then PhoneGap might be an option as well, um, which, you know, I'm a fan of both languages, so mm-hmm. I, I, I go both ways. I don't care. Yep. Well, and I think they've done a good job of just expanding the horizon on all that. Yeah. You know, we used to call that whole, uh, if you're going to talk about the monkey space thing mm-hmm. and monkey square, whatever happened to alt.net? I thought they were the representatives of open source in the dot .and community. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I would, I, you know, maybe I'm an optimist, but I sort right. of feel like what happened with alt.net was a lot of the practices they were pushing became mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, you know, I, and I like to think that I was a part of that at Microsoft where we were trying to push a lot of um, the stuff that I worked on into open into the open source realm. And did. Realm. Yeah. So, uh, for example, MVC and uh, Web API are now open source and yep. they accept contributions. Yeah. Uh, NuGet was open source and accepts contributions. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of these ideas has sort of permeated uh, areas of Microsoft. So, in that regard, I would say Alt.net was a success. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like, you know, the name kind of held it back, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, this is just against .NET. Yeah. And it was really about, no, let's... Well, there was always a certain amount of anger associated. Yes, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. You know, so there are certain personalities involved who sort of let their personalities overshadow the overall effort, yeah. right? And the actual That's goals. a good way to say it. Yeah. But yeah. 
how could you be angry with a name like Monkey Square? It just sounds <laughs> like just so, so much cool. fun. Yeah, and, and our goal is, in many ways, very similar to uh, the dot alt.net goals, Those right? early goals, anyway. Right, yeah. And, the, and, like, my personal philosophy has always been, we're not just .NET developers. We're not just developers of this small community. We're, right. we're software developers. Mm-hmm. And that encompasses a huge community. And yeah. we happen to like C Sharp. Yeah. We j- you but know. we are living in a heterogeneous world. Exactly. Right. And there's a lot to learn um, from other communities. Um, one of the great examples I like to show people is that, you know, at GitHub, I always thought these were a bunch of Ruby hippies. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, no offense to Ruby hippies. I mean, some yeah. of my best friends are Ruby hippies. Some of them work at GitHub. Yes. <laughs> some of them work at GitHub. But I always thought they were a bunch of Ruby hippies. And I thought, you know, this, oh, they're allowing a couple of us .NET guys to come in and build this client. But they're going to. You're gonna, a token. Yeah. But they're going to, you know, hate, hate us and, and give us a lot of shit. Right. Now, they do give us a lot of shit. No, you know, don't get no, me wrong. No two ways about it. But it's, it's, it's all in good fun. But what was interesting is that I found a community of developers within this company who really care about software mm-hmm. and, and ideas ideas more than where they came from. Right. And so um, the guys who work on GitHub for Mac really loved the uh, um, elegance of the model view view model mm-hmm. pattern. You guys were talking about this earlier. Sure. sure. And I was telling them, you know, the first maybe month, I had no idea how to write XAML right. for, for the life of me. Yet I was shipping features because I was sticking with the view model. And because of that separation concerns, I was actually able to write features without really understanding XAML. I just had sure. some other guy it, write it's that. It's important to say that that grew out of XAML, like MVVM. Yeah. That grew out of XAML and that has sort of spread around. Exactly. That grew we were out talking of, about Knockout, right? As yeah. sort of being MVVM for JavaScript. Exactly. Yeah. And MVV, you know, to be fair, MVVM grew out of a pattern that Martin Fowler, uh, yeah. you know, created presentation separation. Right. But a uh, presentation controller, whatever. Uh, presentation model. Uh, I'm going to get it right eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, like this whole idea of sharing ideas from multiple communities is how we raise, you know, all the shit. Sure, right. right. And, uh, everybody better. So they actually wrote um, a reactive Cocoa framework and a MVVM framework for um, Objective-C. Awesome. Uh, based uh, a lot on what they were learning from what we were doing. And That's so, cool. um, and you know, it, it, we were kind of joking like, oh, we got to go present this. And at the very end, we got to tell them that this pattern came from Microsoft and yeah, just blow yeah. all their minds, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, I don't want to spoil the joke, but I'm sure no Cocoa developers are listening to this, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah probably not. <laughs> okay. But, you know, th- that's sort of the thing that really just jazzes me up about what we're doing is this idea that, you know, I- I'm learning all this stuff from these Ruby developers. Yeah. Uh, these Objective-C developers are learning stuff from what we're doing on the Windows side. Mm-hmm. And, and we realize that there's a lot to share. We don't have to be siloed and, and so partisan, you know, to use sure. a political term. Absolutely. Phil, it's so good to talk to you uh, on the show and off the show. Phil Hack, ladies and gentlemen, one more time. And hey, we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. 
.NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 